The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here is Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Second Stage. It's Brendan Anderson and Jeff Cadlick. Jeff, you over there? I, I am over here and excited about our show again today. Uh, we always have good shows, don't we, Brendan? And always we great do. guests. We do. I, what's, what's it about today, Jeff? Because I, I got to make sure you understand what it's all about. <laughs> uh, our topic today is crisis management and communication. And our guest is Graham Hearns, the Managing Director of Global Marketing and Communications and Global Talent Management at the Riverside Company. The Riverside Company, for those people that don't know, is a uh, highly regarded and respected private equity fund uh, in the United States, and really globally. They've got uh, operations and investments in Asia and Europe. And uh, they really got themselves started in the late 80s, and the two founders uh, continue with the business today, and they've built their business to, and Graham will obviously know this off the top of his head, to about 220-plus employees, and they also buy small businesses, not quite as small as ours, but they've found a lot of value in finding I think they used to call them little leaders and build them up into kind of what I call category killers. In fact, Riverside itself is a category killer because they do so much um, and are so influential in the area of their expertise uh, that we view them as uh, somebody that that uh, we uh, try to you know emulate in a lot of how we run our own business. Yeah, and, and Jeff, I just want to make sure when, when we talk about crisis management, we're not talking about running out of vodka or having it be too late to order room service. We're talking about something bigger than that, okay? All right? So That's true. It's, I'm, it's, I'm done telling you anything about my life. I've just decided. No, I, have, right I, have no idea, I have no idea what you're talking about. And no I'm, not even gonna, about. I'm not even going to uh, share any details about what you just said with our listeners. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I just want to make sure we understand what, what that is. You know, Riverside is, like you said, they, they've really become, uh, you know, they've separated themselves from almost every other private equity fund, and and they've, you know, have they have a great niche. They have a great organization. You talk about a process. These, you know, they, you know, I, I read, and this is probably a couple years ago, so I don't know whether they're still at this pace, but I believe I read that they were doing a new transaction, whether it was an add-on or a platform, every ten to seven days or seven to ten days, which is just really unbelievable if you think about it. But uh, and they're very successful. Their you know their 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 returns have been fantastic. And you know I think that fundamentally the entrepreneurs obviously have uh, have really appreciated the value that they brought. So it, it's uh, like you mentioned, we uh, we look to them as uh, 
as people that truly innovated our our space. So sure, sure. So our guest last week though is John Worlow, author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and also the founder of the Sellability Score. And I tell you, I love having guests where I just learn a lot in a short amount of time. It, it, you know, and he just says it so well, and he says it with such uh, such ease, and uh, you know, kind of gets you to remember what the t- what the topics were. So it's, you know, we like I said, we'd met him before, but it's just it's a uh, it's it's neat to uh, great resource for small business owners. Yeah, and um, I encourage you to go to www.builttosell.com, and uh, he has a blog on there where he provides a lot of valuable information. He also has a website uh, that that's the sellabilityscore.com, I believe, and it, he said it takes about uh, 13 minutes to get through the questions that they ask, and you try to obtain a score. It's a 100-point score scale, and if you get at least an 80 on the score scale or an 80%, then you will sell your business for at least a 71% premium. So obviously, as we discussed, it's a great return on investment for 13 minutes worth of your time. And I think if you listen to last week's blog, you'll recognize very quickly that John Warlow knows what he's talking about. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, we, we like I said, we talked to him a couple of times and every time I walk away going, wow, you know, I wish I could present things in that manner because it you know, makes you remember them again and again and again. Oh, I just said it again and again and again. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's good stuff. So uh, I want to turn our attention briefly to a, uh, a presentation that you and I saw in a board meeting this week. And again, this, this show, The Second Stage, is really about small business best practices, but it's also about sharing information and uh, that we believe to be factual and correct. This is not a political uh, organization. Uh, we want to work with all types. Um, but there's some very interesting Congressional Budget Office uh, uh, facts that are out there um, about the the Obamacare, otherwise known as the Affordable Care – I should say it's the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. And um, the CBO projects a decline in the number of full-time equivalent workers of about 2 million in, in 2017 and rising to about 2.5 million in 2024. And I believe that was each year. Per year. Uh, as opposed to over, um, they also project that as a result of the Affordable Care Act, that between six and seven million fewer people have employment-based insurance coverage. So we know from prior shows, Brendan, that there was already had nothing to do with the Affordable Care Act, but there's already this this trend of moving the costs of health care from the employer to the employee, and so that's where this next. Um, element comes in, which talks about the burden of the ta- uh, um, it talks about that um, fifty anywhere from fifty to eighty five percent of people out there do not have any savings whatsoever so now that they 're taking on the burden of these health care costs uh, more and more and more there 's fewer and fewer and fewer people out there as it turns out that have uh, any kind of of savings and why that 's important is is that uh, the average deductible 
uh, prior to the Affordable Care Act for an employer-based health care plan was $1,150, according to uh, the Office of uh, uh, Budget. Um, and then the average deductible for a market exchange bronze plan under the Affordable Care Act is $5,081. So it's grown any, you know, call it four and a half times the deductible, which is what you pay before you get coverage from from your, your plan. So, so 5000 5, is a huge amount of money. I mean, 5000 that's per year. The deductibles are per year. It's funny, Jeff, because you and I heard that statistic, and I hadn't had a chance to Google any of that. I just Googled real quickly, you know, percentage of Americans with savings in an article from uh, uh, CNN Money popped up, money.cnn.com, that basically said that 76% of Americans have Little to no savings. Little being less than three months cushion. Twenty four percent having none at all. So you know, so um, that, that's a brutal number. And so you, all of a sudden, you come along and get a five thousand um, dollar. If you have a family, I mean, you know, you, you, you have a family. I have a family. Everybody, you know, you're going to need to go to the hospital or the or the doctor. And so that that deductible is a crushing number. I mean, it's just a crushing number. Well, and look, you know, it's it's very traumatic because people want to pay these bills so that when they do have a problem, the hospital will accept them on a non-emergency basis. And, you know, they have to accept you on an emergency basis, but on a non-emergency basis, you have to get into get good health care. And if you can't cover these deductibles, you've got a real problem. So, look, the the healthcare system is a train wreck already. You know the the costs of healthcare we're going through the roof. I'm all for trying things, but the facts are is is that the problem is exacerbated. Um, it's not improved as a result of of at least so far as a result of the Affordable Care Act. So again, now, not now to- Jeff, that that sounds to me like a crisis. You know, I you know the running out of vodka or not having the room service thing. That's not a crisis, but this is a crisis. I mean, I and I don't you know this is so overwhelming. I, maybe Graham can give us some thoughts on this because this is uh, this is brutal. That's a great transition into crisis management and communication. I'm sure he could articulate what I just did much smoother. Again, our guest is Graham Hearns, Managing Director of Global Marketing and Communications and Global Talent Management at the Riverside Company. He joined the Riverside Company in 2006. Um, and uh, prior to that, uh, Graham spent nearly 10 years at IMG, which is a Cleveland-based global sports marketing firm with dual responsibilities as vice president for motorsports division, as well as the exposition division, where he directed at several different Grand Prix races and special events. And I, of course, like to throw out there that Graham graduated from Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, which is probably that's down the there greatest- in Florida, right? Oh, that's in Ohio. <laughs> oh, okay, it's probably the greatest learning institution in the world. But uh, we'll and Graham and you and I will vote during his segment. And okay, good. I think the answer is a foregone conclusion. He is also an avid avid runner and um, uh, uh, participates in marathons. And he also serves on the board with me at the Nature Center at Shaker Lakes, uh, which is uh, he's been an outstanding participant. So with that, uh, we are going to take a break from our first segment and be back with our guest, Graham Hearns. But before we go much farther, I want to remind everybody each week that we want to provide actionable advice and have you continue the dialogue through comments and questions on our blog at evolutioncp.com. You can email us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com and uh, want to finally 
uh, thank our sponsors, McGladry. Uh, they are the leading provider of insurance, tax, and consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses nationwide. with more than 6,700 people in 75 U.S. cities. With that, we're going to take our first break here at the second stage. Thanks for tuning in, folks. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. If you want to know about investing in emerging and frontier markets, or if you have experience in this field but still need to know more, tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham. Gavin explores news, current trends, and insights about both categories of investing. His guest experts, along with his own knowledge, will help you stay above the line when it comes to growth potential, whether in funds or equities. He will look at what to invest in and avoid. Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is our show, but as a forum, so we're looking for input from you so that we can benefit from everyone's experience. Please continue the dialogue at, through comments and questions at our blog at evolutioncp.com or ask questions through email at the second stage at evolutioncp.com. The topic today is crisis management and communication, and our guest is Graham Hearns, Managing Director of Global Marketing and Communications and Global Talent Management at the Riverside Company. Welcome to the show, Graham. Good, good afternoon, Jeff and Brennan. Delighted to join you and all of your listeners. Great, great, thanks. Hey Graham, I you know as you may have heard earlier, um, I was trying to get Jeff to to define what a uh, what a crisis was, and I was trying to explain to him that you know that running out of vodka wasn't a crisis. Maybe you could help us. Maybe you could help us uh, you know define sure. what a crisis is. I, I guess it's all relative, though, right, Brendan? So it, it, <laughs> it depends really on, uh, is. Where really you are is. and what time of day. I, I but... viewed it as a crisis at the time. Yes. Well, you know, I think folks loosely use the term crisis for uh, a number of different situations that they may find themselves in. I tend to view it very viscerally as as anything that hurts sales or threatens to materially impact your business. 
and obviously I'm viewing this through the lens of a business for, for your listeners' benefit. So it's something that normally is, is not something that passes overnight, but has the, the potential to really take your attention away from your core job or the business that you're in and the service you're providing to your customers and, and create a, a real meaningful disruption. And I think the last piece is that crises, by their very nature, typically have both a, a legal and financial ramifications that can require months or, or even years to ultimately rebuild your brand from. So um, yeah, it's really critical to, to take them seriously and to get out in front of them whenever you can. I would suspect, Graham, that in, in particular with the, the the social media movement and, and the internet, and you know, it's it sound like the old guy, you know, talking about the internet being new. You are uh, realizing you are the actually no. you are the old guy on this okay. call. Okay, okay. No. Well, that's why I feel good about saying this. I would suspect that it, it, that, that the crisis management would it gets more important uh, with you know with over the last three, four, five, ten years. I mean, it gets more important every every year. I would assume. It really does. The rules are, are being rewritten uh, every year. And um, when I reflect over you know, the last, I guess, less than, than a generation ago, most of us got our news from maybe three TV networks, a local radio station, maybe a couple daily newspapers. Um, today, there are dozens of channels of, that air 24-hour coverage of, of news with, with countless professional and amateur journalists feeding stories and opinions into news sites and blogs and Twitter feeds, as you suggested. And in addition, I think employees and customers carry mobile devices, as all of us do, which are capable of immediately loading photos or videos onto social media platforms. All of this access to information poses a huge challenge during a crisis. And I think the instinct of any company is to try to control that message, often by limiting how much information is released. Unfortunately, in this environment where media is so so pervasive, um, you can't really afford to wait to get your story out there. You need to be out in front of it. If you don't tell your side of the story, someone else will, and it will less likely to contain the facts that are important to you and your business. All right, so a crisis happens or your fear it's happening, who can help or who, who do you turn to for help? Yeah, I think there's three common pillars of resources. I'm sure there's, there's more than that, but to the way we view them, uh, there's a, a legal component, uh, there's room for a crisis PR firm, and then a more traditional uh, PR firm. So um, the legal perhaps is the most obvious of them all. A crisis invariably has a legal component, and you'll need the expertise of your own counsel or external counsel to, to navigate those tricky waters. The crisis communications firms and, and what we have biased towards is in a situation where you're really up against something challenging is you want a, a group or a team that does nothing but handling crises each and every day. Um, that that's what they're wired to do. And uh, I do think there is a role for traditional PR as well in that when you're done and when those, perhaps if, if you're unfortunate enough to have uh, news vans or, or reporters involved, by the time they leave, there is still that rebuilding that I referenced earlier that needs to happen within the brand and your own reputation and recapturing some of that customer confidence. And that's where I think... Uh, the, the traditional PR firm can work. They're not always perfectly uh, in sync with each other. Uh, each group brings its own set of biases to the to the table, 
Um, but ultimately, I think when you've got all of them uh, part of the decision-making process, you're much more likely to have a, a very, you know, a, an improved or better outcome. And so, I guess what you're saying is that the legal the legal advice may be substantially different or more res, you know, the, the more restrictive than maybe the crisis communication firm uh, say on average. Is that a fair? I mean, maybe talk about a little bit about the difference. Yeah, it is, Brendan. Yeah, I think attorneys, by their very nature, are looking to limit exposure, and the fastest way to do that is not to say anything or to lead with comments like "no comment." which can be just as damning, if, if, if not worse, than, than actually saying something of, of more substance. So I think the legal advice would more often than not encourage you to lay low and hope that it blows over. On the other opposite spectrum, crisis firms typically promote more openness and transparency. They're a little less worried about the legal exposure and more about the brand and the business and the ongoing nature of, of the company running. And so it is uh, not uncommon in uh, crises for both of those two groups to, to be at odds. And, and it's a, a very healthy discussion that occurs, and you, you end up making what you think to be the best business decision. I think one of the biggest pitfalls that I've seen is I've seen organizations, not in this case Riverside, but other global brands that have been so worried about the legal exposure that in so doing, there's nothing left of the brand. So everybody's worried about living to fight to fight another day, but if there's no brand, there's no business, there's no customers, it's great that you've limited some exposure, but you've gotten so beat up and dragged through the mud along the way that uh, there's not much of a business left. And so you do have to make uh, some educated decisions along the way and, uh, and, and hope that you're involving all the right players. And I hate to jump backwards. Tell me, there, there are people that just focus on crisis communications? I mean, is would they be part of a traditional PR firm or, or maybe – I sure. can't even picture that. Yeah, so there are people, and um, there's there's uh, one here in, in Cleveland, Ohio, that's uh, quite well recognized in, in Hennis Painter Crisis Communications. But there are um, dozens uh, across the country here that do nothing but a crisis communication. Most traditional PR firms will have someone or, or a handful of people that will, will do that as well. But more often than not, it's on top of everything else that they do. And so the real benefit there of, of working with, with the crisis firm is they have this really deep experience and that they've worked on identical or similar situations so that they can help you anticipate the challenges and, and develop an effective strategy to, to manage that message. All right. Well, that's Jeff again. We always learn something. I, uh, and you probably knew that, Jeff, because you know you you get to crises a lot faster than I do. But um, maybe uh, Graham, um, why does every company need a crisis communication plan? I mean, why 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 work on one in advance? I mean, can't I just tackle that when uh, when uh, when the crisis happens? Sure. I think the one thing that's certain is if you're in business long enough that a crisis will occur. It's just a matter of when, not necessarily if. And so I think any company can easily find themselves in a crisis and the ability to plan in advance. If you think of some of the, the when you're in the midst of that whirlwind of a crisis, you're not exercising, you're not getting enough sleep, you're not eating right, uh, you're not seeing your family. And so you are all of the things that make all of us fundamentally solid, or at least many of those components, are are being taxed. And so you're not able to think as clearly 
and have that level of objectivity that perhaps you would ideally want. And so the ability to do that in advance it really allows you to be uh, not that things aren't going to bad things aren't going to happen because that's that's unrealistic, but it's going to stop you from being on your heels, and you're going to be far more proactive with how you you do uh, approach those situations. Okay, I'm sold. So t- t- how do I build one of these plans? Jeff, get your pen. <laughs> I needed you know, it last week. What are you talking yeah, about? <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. He already <laughs> failed, Graham, so it's, it's terrible. <laughs> you know, I, I think any good plan involves the entire organization. Uh, some initially view this as a marketing or a PR function, and while that group or individuals may help lead the charge, this is certainly much larger. I think next you want to think who are the people that you want out front. So who do you want to designate as a spokesperson or spokespeople? And um, you know sometimes you don't necessarily want to start with the CEO. Um, you may want to save the CEO uh, in case the situation escalates because if you start with the CEO out of the gate and things continue, there's no place else to go. So uh, sometimes you want to be careful about who you put out first. And of course, on the, on the other end of the spectrum, if it's something horrific and you don't lead with the most senior person, it can also be equally as damaging. So really giving some meaningful thought to who you put out first is, is really essential. And I think the other piece is it's unrealistic these days, given our earlier discussion, Brendan, about how quickly information travels. It's unrealistic these days to have a spokesperson. There are just too many different audiences that any business or business leader needs to communicate with. And so I think what we have seen uh, when we've been faced with challenges is that there will be a a spokesperson assigned to different audiences or different customers uh, that can help uh, manage that communication as, as we proceed. Um, next, I think you want to you want to designate that crisis firm, and, and you want to be able to uh, talk through what some of the likely scenarios could be. So, while many of them are unforeseen, there are some inherently a part of what some of our businesses do that you could predict in advance. And talking through uh, what some of those could be, as well as some of the, the different customers that you would want to to reach out to. Um, and then I think just sharing the plan broadly with the rest of your organization. It's not helpful to do any of this in a bubble. Uh, for the senior management team to create a wonderful crisis communications plan, only to have your receptionist be the first point of contact that gets a call from the reporter or has the news camera coming in the front door, is just not helpful. So you need to think through how do you roll that out more broadly. So I think those are the, the core steps. There's a lot more that can go into it, but it doesn't need to be terribly expensive. It doesn't need to be elaborate, but it, it does need to be thoughtful. And the best time to do that exercise is, when the sun is shining and business is going beautifully. When, when, when you're preparing, when you're preparing the, the people in your organization, are you giving them talking points or are you just explaining the situation? Uh, tell me more about what you're, what you're sharing with your, with your employees. Sure. So I think uh, the biggest piece is establishing a protocol. So um, how are those calls taken? Um, what information is being captured? Um, who is the next call going to? I've even been in organizations where something can break. You know, crises aren't, aren't limited to nine to five. So while we all now have come to live with cell phones, um, having having immediate contact and home numbers and emergency numbers in the middle of the night to reach out to people is is critical. And then I think ensuring that as an organization there is 
is a common thread to how you approach this. So at, at, at the Riverside Company, the openness that we approach a crisis is consistent with our culture and the DNA, the, the threat of our organization. So it's very similar. We're not trying to act one way in a crisis and, and act on our website in a different fashion. So really getting some buy-in as to how that approach uh, is going to play out over the course of the organization and, and making sure that there is buy-in at every level of the team. Uh, very, very good information, Graham. And we are going to move into our our second break here on the second stage. Our topic today is crisis management and communication with our guest, Graham Hearns, Managing Director of Global Marketing and Communications and Global Talent Management at the Riverside Company. We will be back after a brief message and continue on this, this uh, very important topic. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network this is davis love the third Ryder cup captain and team mcgladry member mcgladry is about building relationships that's the kind of team i want to be a part of a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business the same attributes i look for and the partners i choose it's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is our show, but it is a forum, so we're looking for input from you so that we can benefit from everyone's experience. You can uh, ask us questions at the second stage at evolutioncp.com and uh, add comments at the end of the show to our blog at evolutioncp.com. We're here uh, discussing crisis management and communication with Graham Hearns, Managing Director of Global Marketing and Communications and Global Talent Management at the Riverside Company, which is a highly regarded and well-respected private investment firm. And Graham, you guys have approximately 75 uh, investments today. So this has got to be something, I mean, 
of those 75 companies, something's got to come up, as you're pointing out, by definition, right? It, it does. It's the uh, cold reality that when you've got a portfolio of that size and you're as involved in four different continents the way we are between Europe, North America, and, and throughout the Asia-Pacific region, um, it's not a matter of, of if, but, but when you're going to be faced with one of those challenges. Sure. So, you know, when when we prepared for this show, you, you, the, one of the interesting things that we talked about was what the average crisis looks like. So can you kind of walk us through that? Because I think it sets a framework to really think about this. Sure. So I, I think all crises are, are different, but they almost always have some of the same features or, or at least a similar narrative is, is built around those those features. And by the time a crisis hits public perception, whether it be through social media, as we've discussed, or more traditional media, stories tend to fall within a what we call a three V's perspective. Um, the, the victim who's harmed, the villain who caused the harm, and the vindicator role who is attempting to right the wrong done to the victim. And uh, once it's viewed through this lens, the facts often tend to go by the wayside. So it's, it's imperative to be able to get out in front and to recognize that lens. I think we, we like to assume uh, wrongly that journalists, by their very nature, are paid to report the facts. And I would argue that they are paid to share stories. And uh, that's a, a very big difference. And those stories, when positioned through the, v, the three Vs, uh, can be very harmful if you don't understand uh, everybody's role and, and what they're playing in that equation. Hey, Graham, maybe you can help Jeff again. Um, you know, he tends to always end up as the villain. Maybe you can explain like, maybe how <laughs> he can. You know, yeah, maybe you can figure out. Maybe you can help him uh, keep from being that villain. What do you think? Any sure. ideas for him? Yeah, uh, by the way, I was totally unprepared for this onslaught that I'm getting from you. On Come show. on, <laughs> I'm, God, I'm, I'm, I'm you totally know like flat-footed. I, I should have known. <laughs> okay. Yeah, anyway, you know, sorry. Effective crisis communication may not be able to make a perceived villain and, and turn him or her into a vindicator overnight. But it can help change perceptions and, and keep your firm from being a villain for a long period of time, uh, if at all. And the best approach is perhaps very simple, which is tell the truth, tell it all, and tell it first. Uh, on the surface, it sounds pretty darn simple. Sounds like something that our parents probably shared with us in our very early formative years. Uh, and this is the advice that our crisis communication firm has given us. It often does go against our lawyers' instincts, as we highlighted in, in the earlier segment. But the hard truth is that a lawyer's favorite words of no comment just are not helpful in this case. And by telling that truth, telling it all, telling it first, you greatly improve the likelihood that the story uh, becomes much more fact-based and more fair. Makes sense to me. Um, you know, it, it also kind of – when we talked earlier, Graham, I was surprised at how deep your list was. You know, when, when, you, when you decided when – you, when you started communicating, when you were, when you were that truth teller, maybe talk a little bit about, about who you're trying to reach during a crisis. Sure. I think the, the first thing that we do beyond ensuring that we've got a plan and, and a crisis firm um, under contract or at least uh, at ready notice is to think through all the different uh, customers, audiences, clients that are all affected by a particular piece of news. 
And I think the first thing that I've been continually reminded of is just how much longer that list is than, than on the surface you would imagine. So our, our instinct is normally to think of it as a very limited reach. But um, when you dig into a, a traditional crisis, often it involves your customers, uh, journalists, of course, uh, vendors, maybe competitors who might be trying to take advantage of the situation, uh, your own management team who may not have perhaps been through a situation like this before, uh, lawyers on multiple sides. Depending on the actual crisis, you could have government officials and, and different agencies involved. So it's a, a much more extensive list. And I, I would say that the one group that is most regularly overlooked, regardless of the industry or geography, um, are those that are most close, closest to us all, which would be our own colleagues. So our own employees that in some cases are 5, 10 feet up and down the hallway on either side, that is the group that we tend to skim over and be worried about everybody externally. But communicating the message, calming their fears, um, really is, is essential. So by, by thinking through these different audiences, I think you're reminding yourself that there are, one, there's a lot of different groups out there, and each of them has a different agenda um, and a different set of fears. And recognizing that on the forefront uh, allows you to really uh, put yourself in their shoes and uh, share with them the, the messages that are most important. Graham, is, is, you know, as I said at the beginning of the show, that, you know, Riverside has investments, you know, throughout, you know, the, 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 the world. Is this strategy that we've been talking about, is it different um, uh, in different countries? Is it, uh, you know, are, are all countries as social media savvy as the United States, or are they more so? Uh, is there concern that the perception of a U.S.-based company versus a homegrown company uh, an issue when trying to communicate out a crisis plan? Mm-hmm. We have found the approach to almost be universal, regardless of the industry uh, or the geography or the size of the business. Uh, we invest in, in a wide range in, in, uh, of our portfolio companies. Um, I think there's always uh, a reluctance to really come to grips with the challenge and really understand it for what its potential is. Um, but once you get beyond that, I find that the approach, and this is whether it's a, a private family-run business or one of the larger publicly uh, traded companies, I think the idea of slowing down long enough to think through the situation, which you don't always have the luxury to have all the facts. I think that's the hard part. We can all second-guess what a, a BP did three, four, five years ago. Uh, Tylenol did two, you know, two decades ago. Um, but when you're in the midst of that crisis, it's very difficult, and you're operating under some conditions that normally don't allow you to have all the facts. So you're making some, you're trying to make some very informed decisions based upon what you have. And um, after that, you, you don't have the luxury to stop. So uh, as far as the, the news traveling just as fast and at lightning pace speed, um, we have found that at Riverside to be universal, uh, regardless of where we're doing business in the world. Mm. You know, Graham, you, um, the, the one of the the, uh, the parties that you'd want to communicate that jumped out to me was competitors. So what would you do with a competitor? Is it just you want to make sure they understand the facts? Yeah, I think it's uh, 
not knowing the relationship that may exist. So I, often a competitor may be on a short list for an acquisition where you're, you're looking to buy them or vice versa. And so to the extent that there's a warmer relationship, uh, we would encourage them to be more proactive about reaching out to them, uh, especially if this is more publicly known. I think outside of that, it would be monitoring what they're doing a little bit more closely. So what we have learned at Riverside and, and what I've learned in my own professional career is that, uh, boy, it really helps to track and to monitor uh, what's happening, whether it's a, such a simple thing as, as a Google alert or whether it's paying uh, several thousands of dollars a year for a subscription to a company like Focus that will track your name and your mention across radio, television, print, but just knowing what's out there and following it and not waiting for the crisis to hit before you establish those channels. So um, there was an instance many years ago where, where we were getting beat up in social media through a particular channel for a portfolio company, and we didn't have the presence um, to have a Facebook page yet, to have a Twitter account. And so we were that much later to the table to actually defend ourselves or our portfolio company. What was the name of the uh, of the service that, that would that for the couple thousand bucks would make you aware yeah. of what was going on? Yeah, it's a company called Vocus, uh, and um, it's something that we've subscribed to for a long time. And uh, we'll get some real-time hits regardless of the time of the day. I'll have an alert even if it's one of my colleagues uh, over in Budapest that's doing a presentation. If it's being covered or tweeted about, I'll get a huh. real-time alert. And um, it just allows you to, to track what's going. I think, uh, Brendan, to the, to the heart of the question, if you saw a competitor uh, saying something that was not true uh, about you, about what was going on, um, it's not so much that you would spend a whole lot of time dealing with the competitor, but it would allow you to make sure that you knew what you needed to be communicating to your customer base because they're likely trying to seize that opportunity to badmouth you or, or just uh, you know, spread things that perhaps are, are less than uh, fact-based. Mm-hmm. You know, Graham, just circling back to something that you had said earlier that I want to tackle in a different way, which was, you know, the people that you overlook are the people that are closest to you and your colleagues. And with social media today, you know, employees, uh, you know, can can blog, they can tweet, they can put something out there, social media saying, oh, my gosh, such and such happened or this happened or giving their own version you know, of events, are there strategies or things that you can do internally to try to uh, mitigate any of, uh, you know, having multiple stories go out at multiple times without people having the real facts, so on and so forth? Yeah, I think if you're referring, uh, Jeff, to primarily uh, the social media activity coming out of the company, in the case of Riverside, we address the social media policy as a part of our larger handbook. So we're able to highlight um, who is representing the firm and on, on those social media channels, um, what the procedure is for addressing a challenge. If they are participating on their own separate from that, are they, are they positioning themselves as with our company or just a private equity um, investor? So we, we go to great lengths to make sure that everybody at least understands the rules. We do realize the hard part is that they're changing every day. But I think at its core, we, we all tend to overlook some of the people that are closest to us. And they go home, and they go to church, or they go to the temple, and they go to the grocery store, and, and they're dropping their children off at school. And they are sharing your message, whether you realize it or not. 
And if they don't have the facts and you're so worried about that customer or supplier or vendor that you're overlooking who they are, you're really eroding at the base. And that's why you have to start early. Sometimes it can be in the form of a town hall meeting. Uh, other time it can be uh, it can be played out through a, a main piece of communication from your co-CEO um, or president of an organization. But not overlooking them is uh, something that I learned early on in my professional career because it, it can be so easy. You're so worried about everybody else, but you can't underestimate uh, the goodwill. Um, and the strength in numbers when you empower that uh, your own team to help share the message. Yeah. So uh, we you know we only have a couple minutes here in this segment, and I, I just I wanted you if you could just quickly walk us through you know a crisis that you've experienced just to give people the, the a flavor of how you as an expert in this area manage the situation. We really only have about a minute or so. Sure. So uh, about eight years ago, we had a, a very strong consumer brand business, and um, it had some incredible raving enthusiasts and fans for its product. Uh, there was a situation and some concern that arose about how, in fact, the material was being manufactured and how the, the products were being produced. And it started off as a firestorm in social media. And we tended at that time, eight years ago, to listen solely to attorneys. We, we still listen very carefully to them now, but, but eight years ago, we listened exclusively, and so we did nothing. We put our head in the sand. Uh, we, we hoped that it would blow over. And by the time, and it didn't, it kept on growing stronger and stronger, and that beat kept on going. And by the time we were ready to address it, uh, our most loyal customers were prepared and ready to defect uh, the brand and, and to their allegiance to our company that we owned. And so as a result, uh, the company has never quite returned to the same level of prominence. And so we, we've learned a lot of lessons there, but one is you just can't afford to wait and hope. You, you've got to be out front more. And then the second piece was really understanding the social media component and establishing yourself in those channels before you have a crisis so that you are getting the facts out. Yeah, and I think that's great advice. And the distinction between the crisis management firm that does it every day and the lawyers who typically have that knee-jerk reaction, I think, is a, a very good one. Um, Graham, thank you for your time. I think this was, again, very, very helpful. Uh, you know, the topic, again, crisis management communication. Our guest today has been Graham Hearns, Managing Director of Global Marketing and Communications and Global Talent Management at the Riverside Company, a global uh, private equity firm focused on little leaders. Is that still what you call them today, Graham? It is. It is. We're uh, proud uh, after 25 years to continue to be focused on, on small businesses, uh, much like you and Brendan. And uh, it's a, a real privilege to be able to reward some of these uh, entrepreneurs who have put it all on the line to, to help them build a bigger and better business. Right. Right. And uh, again, everyone out there in, uh, uh, that's listening to this show, uh, the Riverside Company is a wonderful uh, firm and one that we, we pay quite a bit of attention to uh, as we build out uh, our business. Uh, and with that, we're going to take a short pause uh, for uh, some messages, and then we'll be back for some concluding thoughts about today's topic. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. 
McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance Tax Consulting. What do business and sports have in common? Both are based on competition, and the goal of each is the same, to win. If you're in business, you need an edge over your competitors. You need to innovate and improve. You need to make adjustments to stay ahead of your competition. Tune in to The Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Get the playbook and the coaching you need to improve your business performance. The Business Locker Room airs live every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the second stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and I'm here with my partner, Brendan Anderson. This is a show about small business best practices, and I think we heard uh, a lot of best practices on this show, Brendan. I, I got I, I to smile. You know, obviously, you and I look at uh, the Riverside uh, organization as uh, you know people that have just really put process to just about everything in, 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 in a very positive way. I know entrepreneurs look at that as a negative thing. And this is just another another example of how they've they've taken that and, and just, uh, you know, put put some thoughts, concepts and uh, the old uh, infamous you know, Riverside checklist together because it works. And uh, in times of crisis, as uh, I think uh, Graham mentioned, when you're tired and you, you haven't had your exercise and you haven't been eating right, uh, it's just hard to remember how to react to those things. And if you've never done it before, you don't, it's not even about remembering. It's about, you know, it's about pulling yourself together and making some, some very critical decisions. You know, and that's why, you know, we, you know, partnership is used, obviously, way overused in, in today and particularly in our industry. But when you have an organization like the Riverside Company or for Evolution for that instant, for that matter, who have been through a process before that have been through, you know, the particular areas of focus, you know, our focus is different than Riverside Company, but, you know, uh, it, it it helps you get through things faster, and the faster you go and get through some of these issues and challenging times, you know the better off you're going to be. And with 75 investments that the Riverside Company has, and I mean they've had hundreds over the years, uh, they know what they're doing, and it's through the repetition of having done it over and over and over again makes them great. And crisis management is just another area where they've shined. Yeah, and, and, and I got to be honest with you, Jeff. I mean, I the concept of preparing one of these in advance. I, I know uh, our listeners are going to find this hard to believe, but we we don't have one uh, a, a plan other than the fact that Barbara would 
would be able to knock it out of the park very easily. She's <laughs> she's would be fantastic. But you know, it, it really is. Uh, you know, it's it makes sense, and and it's amazing how a little bit of preparation can go a long way. So, and, and Graham got it. You know, good God, I. It's uh, you know, it's amazing how easy he makes it sound. I suspect he's uh, he's had a couple uh, a couple at bats here. Yeah. Well, you know, he makes the point that it's inevitable that you're going to have a problem. And you just made the point, and I think all of us would agree that with just a little bit of effort, uh, you can at least have the framework in place, you know, like that he had talked about the handbook uh, for your employees in terms of who can be on social media communicating out about certain issues, uh, understanding who the stakeholders or constituents are that you need to communicate with, kind of the differentiation between the advice that you have coming in, whether it's legal counsel or crisis management and the differences uh, between those those two groups and really just – the knowledge of just preparing, just thinking about it in advance so that then when, when it does happen, you're not caught entirely flat-footed. Makes sense to me. I think you actually said that pretty well for you. You know what I mean? Oh, you got nothing else to add there? I guess. I got, well, well, I got stuff to add, but uh, you know, I'm just kidding. Um, well, you know what, though? What I thought was really interesting was his comments about um, – you know that that these reporters aren't reporting the facts; they're telling a story. And I think that for the naive person out there, particularly in today's media, where it's gotten so divisive, that that they are telling stories. They, the facts don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> and if to and to understand the parties, the three V's in every story, which is the victim, the villain, and the vindicator, and trying to figure out. What role are you playing? You know who yeah. who everybody else is playing is just again it creates that framework so that you can uh, address the situation. Gee, I, I, when he was telling that story, and, and I probably shouldn't bring this up, but I will anyways. Um, with our last landlord, um, the Murray Energy guy, do you remember when they had that horrible, horrible uh, incident where there was the cave in? He was a, he's a coal, and his first instinct, you know, I gave him so much credit, uh, was to go out there and stand there with the families. And then as time went on and on and on, you know, because he was talking about leading with the CEO, you know, if you lead with the CEO, there's nobody else to go to. And remember how long that took. And then he was on the news every single day. And then as the, as the time went on, it just got he became he looked worse and worse and worse because he was the face of the organization and, and he felt and, and I, it was like totally reversal as to what I was thinking because he I gave him so much credit for stepping up and doing that it just you know the, the the media turned against him pretty fast and furious. Yeah, and there was a little bit of uh, you know that was uh, you had a lot of the green thumbs on there talking about yeah. how awful coal is and all that sort yeah, of right. stuff. But other than that. But other than that, but you're right, Brennan. I thought that you know um, he his gut instinct was to get out in front of it to tell his story. The buck stops with him, so he's going to be the one that sits out front. You know, this Malaysian airline crisis that just took place. You know, same thing. The the CEO of the company got right out in front of it right away. And the terrible thing was that they didn't have all the facts, but he felt like he (laughs) still don't. But but you know, as emotional as both of those situations are, um, stepping away from it, you have to give credit to them trying to take responsibility, to take um, to be out there in front, to take the heat, uh, and um, you try to make a wrong right. Yeah. 
no, I, I agree. It's, uh, you know, it's something we, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta think about here too. And in the concept of, uh, you know, of, of communicating what, what needs to be said to, uh, all the interested parties, especially your employees is something that, uh, probably doesn't come first nature to most entrepreneurs. And that's uh, probably the biggest takeaway I have here is, is, uh, you know, if you have, 20, 30, 40, 50 employees, something, something, you know, crisis does happen. If you at least have them, those people fully informed and, you know, in speaking the, uh, you know, the, the truth about what's going on in the company and what the people are trying to do, uh, that, that goes a long way because 50 miles are, are better than one if that's what you decide, you know, the road you decide to go on. Yeah. And I, again, this is another thing where the return on investment will be uh, pretty good. Not a lot of effort. I think you can really, uh, save yourself there at the end. So we hope you've enjoyed today's show and join us again next Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. And, uh, you know, again, uh, think about uh, what your company can be and not what it is today. And Brennan, what do you say? Preparation ices the ices the crisis. You like it? (laughs) I like it. I took some liberties there, but I uh, but I like it. It ices the crisis. All right, folks, have passion for possibilities, and thanks for tuning in to the second stage. Thank you for tuning in this week to the second stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week. 